Welcome back, everyone, to Reefer the Reefer, the podcast. I'm your host, Little Farmer. I'm here with Matt. He is the owner and founder of Brainstrap Genetics and also co-founder and co-owner of the Flower Factory down here in Area 420. Thanks for coming on, Matt. Yeah, hey, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you guys coming down to be able to do your thing here, hook up the audio, get the podcast studio back up and going again, and uh, continue to put out new content. Yeah, that's the plan, man. It's a beautiful area down here. I love the concept. Uh, thanks for you uh, inviting me down here to meet everyone. It's been a great opportunity to network and meet a lot of new people. And um, so I wanted to talk to you about your cannabis consumption. What got you into it? You're obviously very not obsessed, but your life is driven about cannabis just like mine. So it gives a lot in common. And uh, when was the first time you ever consumed cannabis? Uh, first time I ever consumed cannabis was at the age of 13. I was at a little snowboarding event um, with some of my friends, and uh, one of my friends had some weed. He had already had a joint rolled up, and um, they asked if I wanted to smoke it, and uh, I don't know if it's peer pressure or just curiosity, but I did, and uh, I smoked it, and I didn't really get high off of it my first time. Um, I don't know. It was maybe because I was expecting it so much, um, but or anticipated the high, but I didn't feel like I got high off of the first joint that I smoked. It wasn't until that same friend, I linked up with him because he was the one that kind of had the plug amongst our group of friends. And, you know, when you're 13, 14, coming up, getting ready to be, you know, into high school, still in the junior high years, um, it was hard to get weed. You had to know some older kids or some older people you were hanging with to be able to score a bag. So it wasn't until I, 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 I smoked off of a water bong, which is when I really got high. And that was what it like really hit me. And we were, I remember watching like me, myself and Irene, it was a Jim Carrey movie and it was just high as hell, man. The laughs, you know, the giggles. What year was that? And you're from Indiana, correct? Yeah. So, so it's highly illegal in Indiana and it was probably not easy to get back in the day. Was it? No, probably. It's probably like for me, man, I'm, I'm 36. So that was probably like 99, 2000 what I'm talking about. You know, before that, it was, you know, it really didn't get brought up too much to me. I mean, I went to school where like dare was a big thing, you know, like dare, you know, resist drugs and everybody's rocking the T-shirts and, you know, weed was considered dope. And they had like yeah. the uh, the commercials and everything with like the eggs frying and the skillets and all that shit. So, you know, it's interesting to see where it's come from a time like that to a time now where it's becoming more and more socially accepted more normalized, and uh, more and more states are jumping on board and recognizing the value that this plant can bring So, yeah, from many I, different avenues. I was the same way. I didn't get high the first time. I didn't really feel it as much. Uh, second time I smoked, it was out of a homemade toilet paper roll with some aluminum foil, a little steamroller, and the quality of was much better. And it slowed my brain down, and I was like, whoa. Made my nose run a little bit. I was like, at, at that time, um, when you were scoring bags, like, did they have a strain name or a cultivar name to it, or was it? Because no. for me, it was just like it was kind of like you know watching uh, half baked when the dude pulls up to the apartment and he's like, "Yo, you want the highs, mediums, or the lows?" You know, for me, it was like you either got kind bud or in my generation, it was considered more chronic at that point. But I'm from Indiana, kind bud. You know, the terminology, if you look into some of that, comes from that Deer Creek era, the deadheads, you know, traveling yeah. through. 
And uh, that's where the kind bud terminology kind of came from, as well as the bubblegum strain. And for me, when I was coming up, it was more chronic. Like if you were getting high grade cannabis, it wasn't like it was the chronic strain. It was just considered chronic because you were usually paying $20 a gram for it. You know, yeah, what I'm there saying? wasn't many strain names when I started smoking. No. It was swag, Mexican brick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it was mids. Or kind of bud. Yeah, and if you had some good you know, some good uh, bud coming from the dude, usually, I mean, if you were trying to grow, which not a lot of people were, because if you're growing up in a prohibition state, it was some risky shit to try to grow. And Because, one, if you're young, you want to you talk about it. You want to brag about it and flex, you know, and it's hard to hold back quiet um, and not tell anybody. And that's like the number one rule you'll read in any type of gorilla growing is don't talk about what you're doing, you know, unfortunately. Or keep your circle very small. And so, yeah, if you had some good bag seed, man, you were, I, for me, I was just throwing it down on the ground and seeing what I got. I had no idea what I was growing, you know. I kind of had an idea what it leaned towards, you know, a little bit from the lineage. But it was kind of a guess at that point. You know, you didn't just get, you know, seeds. I mean, you did. You could get them from, like, you know, certain seed banks at that time. Um, but the genetics were kind of like, meh. You know, yeah, we always had a hash plant. No, it was famous for West Virginia. It was West Virginica or a, a hash plant, and uh, or it was swagweed. Brick. Mm-hmm. That's all we ever got back home when I was young. Uh, when I got to college, we started getting mids. It was shipped from all over, just people from college there, from all 50 states, Nash international. So we got a little bit of stuff from everywhere, but it wasn't available to every everybody. Yeah, <clears throat> you had to know somebody. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do remember, um, smoking some like old school skunk back in the day. I mean, I don't know if it was exactly roadkill skunk or not. Um, it did have a roadkill trait. I mean, I've seen plenty of dead skunks on the side of the road and I know what that smells like. And it was very similar, but and it's hard for me to say, man, I, I, that was, that was kind of before my time. And so I kind of got the back end of that, that, that ride, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't get to choose any of the strains until I came to Colorado and I came here in 2000. So, uh, in 2000, it was still illegal here, but you were getting some skunk strains. There were some, uh, very infamous people in the mountains growing at that time. They had a lot of good, a lot of good strains. That's where I came into the, to the good herb. Yeah. Awesome. Have you, uh, ever had any problems trying to get herb in your days? Like been in any oh, bad dr- situations trying to get a hookup? The dry, Before the dry spell legal. season. Yeah, everybody had dry spells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it it, uh, it it was like a seasonal thing, you know. And you don't really realize it until you start cultivating cannabis. Um, uh, you know, when you're just you're just buying it as a consumer, you don't put much thought into the cultivation of it. You're just looking for fireweed that gets you high. But if you're cultivating it and you have been for a while, um, even like in the late '90s, early '90s, and before my era. Um, you knew when dry season was coming up. And so you wanted to make sure you were prepared because a lot of times the the local dudes, if you will, um, didn't have the supply. And so you had to resort to either lower grade or shake or whatever you could find, scraping your hash out of your pipes, you know. Well, we were from bowls. the country. We ended up having to get down to the city. Not me personally, but I know people who would drive down to the inner city, try mm-hmm. to find some score down there, and end up getting robbed. Yeah. Or end up getting pulled over because they are so far out of place without out of state tags. Oh, yeah. I got ripped off in New Orleans like that one time. I gave a dude of money and he never never came back with my money. I was so young and gullible that I didn't think much of it. But looking back at that now is a very stupid decision. But yeah, I'm the same way, man. I'm from the country, from the backwoods of Indiana, spoil banks, cornfields all around me. 
very few neighbors. So like when we went into the city, the closest city to me at that time was Evansville, Indiana. And uh, it's probably the, I think it's the third largest city in Indiana, you know, next to Fort Wayne and Indianapolis or Marion County. So I never really went into the city too much to score Bud because I could usually get it from some of the locals around me. And, um, and they, they, they weren't necessarily growing it. They were just bringing it in from their sources. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, I mean, it's kind of neat, you know, looking back at it then it was like, you know, highly illegal and you're going to get locked up. But now it's like a, it's a everyday part of our life. You know, we're transporting product every day. We're selling product every day legally in a state that recognizes that, which is nice not have to be in hiding anymore. So yeah. It's so awkward when you go back to another state that I can't do it, man. (laughs) I can't do, I haven't been back to Indiana really since I've been out in Colorado, just because I just don't really want to go that long without my weed. You know, I don't want to go from being a medical patient to driving across state line and being a criminal again, you know? So yeah, that's where I wanted to get talking about too. You were talking about, you started recreationally, but you ended up getting sick and cannabis turned out to be your medicine. Yeah. Talk about that a little. Yeah. So when I was um, 26, uh, it was like my, the end of my sophomore year in college, I got diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage two cancer. And so uh, I had to go through chemotherapy and radiation treatment to get cured of that or in remission now. Um, But yeah, I found a lump growing on the side of my neck. I was in the best shape of my life. I was like 215 pounds. I was working out every day. Great college diet. Like, had plenty of financing to back me from the Marine Corps, what I'd saved up to get me through college. So, but then I had found a lump in my neck and I didn't think much of it. I just thought it was like a head cold or just like some flare up from, you know, sick season coming up where it was getting cold, but it never went down. And so I like, you know, eventually I went in to get it checked out and they did some, um, where they like jabbed a big gauge needle into like, it was, it was a tumor growing, but I didn't know it at this time. And they just jab this big gauge needle into this tumor to get cell samples to look at the cells underneath the microscope. And that's when I got a phone call a couple of days after I had that procedure done. And they told me right on the phone, they were just like, hey, is this Matt Aldridge? And I was like, yeah, this is him. And he was like, well, this is Dr. So-and-so from uh, Indiana University Medical. We want to let you know that your test results came back positive for Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. We don't know what stage it's in yet. Um, but stand by your phone for the next 24 hours to seek additional medical assistance. And I was just like, whoa, like mind just blown instantly. You know what I mean? Because I had no clue what Hodgkin's lymphoma even was at that time. It wasn't even on my radar, man. I was thinking about so much other different stuff at that point. So then I started to go on WebMD and go down the rabbit hole with forums and online readings. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, luckily I had a good cure rate. I think the cure rate for that cancer is around like 80 something percent now. Um, But, you know, I know other people, close people in my family. My dad died of cancer. My grandfather died of cancer and I've already had cancer. So it's very apparent it's in my genetic code. You know, (laughs) as a breeder, I have to recognize that. Right. But all I can do on my end is try to live a better life. You know, lifestyle change, my diet how active I am, what I'm exposed to. Did they go in and cut it out and then put you Yeah, they did a biopsy on this tumor on this side of my neck, and then they did a biopsy on a tumor on this side of my neck. And then that's when I started, like, the heavy shit, like chemotherapy, radiation, um, all that. And 
man, they had me prescribed to so much shit when I, when I had cancer and I'm 26, you know, I'm 215 pounds going into this. So I'm in good shape, a lot better shape than a lot of people when they get their diagnosis. I was very fortunate and very lucky, but they had me on stuff for like anxiety, depression, constipation, uh, nausea, pain, you name it, man. And like, so that's when I, that, at that point, in my life. And I had been cultivating a little bit up until then, as far as like popping beans, maybe dusting some branches with some pollen here and there, um, from some strains from some guys in the circle that gave me some old school genetics to work. A lot of hay stuff I was running at that time, Mako Hayes, Golden Tiger, stuff like that. But then at, at that point, that's when I really, really got into cultivating cannabis and I really, really took it serious. And I started researching and learning about stuff like subcool super soil recipe, um, how to how to make my own organic blend, collecting my rainwater, um, all that stuff, what to look for in plant deficiencies, pest identification. And I'm just researching all this online at the time because there wasn't a lot of avenues to go down like you couldn't just plug into a podcast then, you know, podcasts were just becoming a thing or they weren't from what I remember, it was non-existent. I don't even think the earliest cannabis podcast was going then. And especially not about cannabis. Yeah. So you had to go down like, you know, roll it up or what is it? Grass city forum or whatever. And you had to kind of read the old online forums to really get your information. And you, and you, and it was always so sketch being in prohibition States because you like, you get this like, weird anxiety feeling that the feds are watching you on your proxy servers and everything. And they you know? say that the cannabis is the one that makes you paranoid, but like you just mentioned, I think it is the actual fact that it's illegal that makes you paranoid. It's not the cannabis yeah. consumption itself. It's the fact that it's illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was growing some really like racy high dominant sativa strains then. I mean, they were like my, you know, a guy in the group called it rocket fuel, but like a <laughs> rock and roll juice. Sorry. But like it, it, it kind of it kind of heightened that a little bit. But yeah, you're right, man. It wasn't necessarily the cannabis. It was all these other external influencing factors that were on on my mental state at that time for growing a plant, man. You know, a plant that helps me. And to kind of get back into the whole cancer thing with this, I was just upfront and honest with my oncologist and my radiologist. I told him straight up. I was like, look. I'm not taking any of this medication you prescribe me because I don't like the way it makes me feel, man. It makes me feel like a zombie, like I'm all, dr I can't respond properly when you're asking me questions. I have to like think about it and it just, it just sucked. I hated the way I felt. So I would start making brownies and that's when I started getting into like edibles and making my own brownies. I was still consuming as far as like smoking it every day. But it was really the edibles when you're going through like chemotherapy and radiation and you've got the nausea associated with all that and you don't feel like eating and food doesn't taste the same. It was the edibles that really pulled me through, man. And I'd make a big ass batch of brownies and that brownie batch would last me a couple weeks and I'd make another batch. And like I said, I didn't lie about shit. When I went to the VA, I told him right away. I was like, yeah, I use cannabis every day. My oncologist didn't have anything to say. I felt like she was pretty supportive of it. But my radiologist did have something to say, and he was totally against it. He was trying to convince me that, you know, the marijuana was going to cause, you know, additional potential cancer of the throat and just all this just stupid shit that had no evidence to back it up. It was very clear where his political stance was on it. And so, yeah, I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to listen to what you have to say, dude, but I'm going to take it with a grain of salt because, like, I see what it's doing for me. I see what it's done for people in the past. And then after I got cured of cancer, you know, eventually I watched my dad go through it. He had esophageal cancer and he passed away. 
withered away in two years. And the only thing that was really like helping him with pain other until he got to the point of like fentanyl pumps and all that was the hay strains we were growing right there together. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just kind of, you know, all the, uh, old, all the homegrown cannabis that we had Mason jars locked up in the safe. We were just popping jars. We'd bust that out a year or two later. It was still good smoke, you know? And that's how we kind of got through without having to go through the, 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 the side dude, you know what I mean? Well, that's one big thing. I came to Colorado and I started eating a lot more edibles. I felt a lot better, especially during COVID when I had really bad fatigue and was in bed for three or four days. Some high grade sativa edibles mm -hmm. gave me energy and they made me feel better. I could actually get something done when I felt like crap and nothing else was helping. Yeah, it's it's tough because I like those same strains. It'd be tough for me to grow those outdoors here where I'm at in Colorado because it's just a lot different. Longer growing seasons. Back in the Midwest, um, you got, you know, a little, bit, a little bit more humidity. It's not near as dry. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's just, just a different, just a different. I mean, right around here, it's mostly hybrid and, and heavy, you know, indica-leaning, cush uh, lineage, in my opinion. So so uh, how has your consumption changed? You said you uh, started smoking edibles. Do you uh, enjoy doing dabs, rosin, yeah. or uh, topicals at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like concentrates uh, of all types, dabs. Um, I've done the salves and lotions and stuff like that. I've even dipped into the CBD side of things, uh, you know, as far as uh, tinctures, sublingually, uh, capsules, you name it. I've tried it. Um, other than suppositories, I haven't dipped into the suppository thing yet, but I know there's a couple guys out there that are trying to make a niche into that, into that, you know, side of things. I find there, when I worked in the dispensary for sure, for females who had menstrual issues, the suppositories from Foria. Yep. Off the shelf. Yeah. 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 No, I, I read good things about high, them. But they, they really work for yep. localized help for certain aches. And I can imagine somebody had colon cancer, it would really help. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many beneficial sides to this, this plant. It, you know, we're just, we're just tapping into it, you know? And I mean, Rosin has just become kind of a new thing, I felt like, within the last decade. You know, before that, it was like bubble hash, and and you were just, it's taking a lot of time to make, you know, good hash. Now you can do it fairly quick, and you can do it right at home uh, just by looking at a YouTube video, you know? Yeah, Pretty I cool. Like, I like bubble hash. That's what we, the first type of hash I ever smoked. Other than that, I do like some rosin, but other than that, I don't really dig the high high THC shatters too much. I know people who do. It's just not for me, though. Yeah, in the beginning, I was doing a lot of the. Uh, I was trying a lot of the BHO butane honey ash oil, and it was it was good, man. It's still good. I like to smoke it. Somebody's got some in front of me. I'll take a dab of it. I'm not going to turn it down. Um, but I any more when it comes to dabs, I prefer fresh raws. Fresh rosin. Fresh rosin all day, man. You know, low temp fresh raws, right off the drip. Put it right in the container and fire it up in the in the car to two. Shout out Focus V. So. uh do you have, or have you ever had any bad reactions to consuming cannabis or know anybody who has had bad reactions that you've had to deal with? Myself personally, no, but I'm, I'm able to do it and have, at this point, I'm able to, to, to consume cannabis with discipline, you know what I mean? And that's for really anything out there, whether you're consuming alcohol, whatever it may be, psilocybin, you do it in small increments, dis discipline status. 
But I mean, there have been times in the past when I was younger that I've smoked some of these hay strains where I've kind of felt like my heart was going to race out of my chest, you know, kind of that, that rush, if you will. I had a cousin. Um, that's the only person I've really known other than maybe my mother. She had a bad experience one time because, and it wasn't the cannabis, like we were just talking before we came into the studio here. It was the alcohol is what did it. She was drinking a bunch of homemade wine with my dad. They were getting ready to go to a Kiss concert out in the parking lot. They were pre-gaming. Dad just just popped open a barrel of homemade wine he had made, elderberry and blueberry mix. And so they were getting fucked up on that. And then somebody had a joint in the circle and lit it up. My mom hit it a couple of times. And my dad told me that they were in like the women's restroom the, the entire concert because she was getting sick because she had kind of that merry-go-round spin feeling, you know, and. I think that's the thing. If you're jumping into this for the first time or you're just getting into it, you might just just separate the two, you know, you know, alcohol from cannabis use, you know, and then as you kind of get used to it, maybe maybe you can have a glass of wine and smoke a joint and be OK. But if you're going into it and you're already like shit faced on alcohol, it's probably not going to leave a good taste in your mouth for your first cannabis experience. Yeah, I know that happened to a good friend of mine. She had uh, consumed after a few beers. First time, got sick, we'll never smoke again. And uh, it just turned her off. So I recommend the same thing. If you're out and you're in a new state where it's legal and you want to experiment, oh, yeah, I want to try it just because I can. It's legal and I'm not going to get in trouble. Don't do it after drinking a couple drinks. Do it first and then go drink a couple drinks. And then I, I had a cousin that I'm assuming it was it was something pretty racy as far as the high to him. And again, this affects everybody differently here. Um, but he had, he had smoked some, some cannabis and with some friends and when he was younger and, uh, he apparently thought he was going to have a heart attack and had to go to the hospital or whatever. And he was fine. They gave him an, an IV, but it was just kind of that freak out moment, you know, you kind of start to sweat and your heart's racing and you're just like, Whoa, you know what I mean? It's almost like, um, what's that shit you used to smoke? That was like, they called it legal wheat. Salvia. Yeah, dude, that shit. Like, Stay how the fuck it. did that get on the shelves? You know what I mean? Yeah, it is not anything like smoking cannabis. No, so if anybody dude, out like there salvia thinking it's like cannabis, do not even put them in the same category. You're like, you you basically hallucinate on it for like a good 60 seconds. Like, you kind of come in and out, and it's just like, and you're sweating, and it's just like, it doesn't feel right. It's not the same high as what it would be with some homegrown or just any type of weed in general. Yeah, I tried it once when, because cannabis was illegal, dry season, trying to find a substitute, and salvia. Try this. Did not like it. It was one of the worst feelings I've ever had in my life. Yeah. It was yeah. panic almost. Yeah, it was a thing when I was in the Marine Corps, we couldn't smoke cannabis because we would get urinalysis tested. Um, so some guys would go out to the local uh, uh, pipe shops and would buy that and bring that back. And we smoked some of it. And I was just like, dude, this is not like being high. Like this is some heavy shit, man, whatever's on this. So yeah, I uh, like, I used to drink can or drink alcohol heavily. And I use cannabis to wean myself off personally. I find when I'm in a, another country for more than a month and I'm not smoking cannabis, I'll tend to start drinking alcohol again Yeah, as a substitute, just more out of nervous, Wanting something to do with my hands, uh, fixation on putting my mouth to my yeah, or a hand to my mouth. You or smoke something. cigarettes before? I used to. Used to, yeah. I used to smoke cigarettes when I was in the Marine Corps for a little bit. So uh, I smoke blunts heavily all day, but I don't recommend it because it has a little tobacco in it. It's uh, 
just a, a way for me to hold something in my hand as a crutch so I'm not holding a beer. Or well, that's the pesticides and the blunt wraps too. That's not, that's a thing, you know, there's a couple podcasts out here that have, that have harped on this. Bill Drake does a great job of talking about um, pesticide levels in uh, blunt wraps. Some of the more common ones that people use, Swiss for Sweets. I'm not throwing any brands out here to to blow anybody's brand off or anything like that, but these are facts. You know, Bill Drake did the independent research on this. You can look him up. He's got all this um, talking about Swiss for Sweet blunt wraps uh, and some of the, the the main top selling other ones and how high of pesticide levels residuals are still within that tobacco uh, leaf even after it comes to you as a consumer on the shelf. And it's, it's pretty crazy. Like the numbers are like astronomically higher than what anything would be approved by the FDA. So that leads to another point that I want to get at too, about getting weed illegally, especially in illegal States and being laced with pesticides and things like that. It could be really harmful. And I think a lot of the tobacco companies or a lot of tobacco products are already laced with these pesticides too. And they're very harmful for your chest. I don't like smoking the blunts. It's just if it's, somebody's got it, I'll hit it. But it's you a know, comfort yeah, yeah, you're not going to see me go out. Like I'm, you're not going to see me like behind the counter buying blunt wraps. Like if somebody passes me a blunt in a circle, now nah, I'll probably hit it. But yeah, again, I'm not like going out of my way to to roll it up with a blunt wrap. I like uh, just like the hemp papers for the most part. But even some of the rolling papers, you got to be kind of careful with what you're investing in because they can contain heavy metals. We found that out on the commercial end when we go to send pre rolls out. It's not necessarily sometimes the flower that's popping hot for heavy metals. It's the paper that you're using because the entire pre-roll itself or the entire joint or blunt or whatever you're selling is getting tested before that goes into the consumer's hands. So that's another point too. You new consumers out there, be careful what you're consuming out of cheap papers can lead to chest issues with your lungs. Like I said, I've had bronchitis and pneumonia a couple of times in the past. And most of the time it's from smoking back cannabis or not smoking cannabis and air pollution. And I'm a hundred percent believer that the cannabis breaks up the phlegm in my chest. I can spit mm. it out. It's like a expectorant and it's, it helps a lot. And I haven't got sick since I've had my own cannabis that I grow myself. It's yeah, clean. That's what I was getting ready to say. Yeah. No if you can, and, and, and you're in a state where it's legal and uh, you know, I'm not condoning anything illegal here, but it's, it seems to me it's always better, in my opinion, when it's cultivated on your own. You you do that yourself, whether that's through, you know, hydro salt style or organic style. I would just rather cultivate my own versus going to the dispensary to buy it. Now, with that being said, I'm saying that from a consumer standpoint as well as an industry standpoint, because I work in the commercial industry as well during the day, do the brain strap stuff and a home grower and enthusiast by night in the evening. So it's, it's 24 seven for me. My whole life is cannabis and has been since I've been in Colorado. I mean, even before I jumped into this industry, I was growing hemp. So from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, I'm either touching plants, I'm talking cannabis over kind of around the scenes. So again, back to that, if you have the opportunity to, um, and you get some good genetics, good clones, good beans, whatever it may be, I always encourage you to grow your own. Um, it's always going to be better than what you're going to buy on the shelf. And it's going to get better and better like a fine wine the more you do it, um, whether that's indoors or outdoors. Yeah, I agree with that. I think everybody should at least try to grow cannabis once. If you can't do it, then you can go to the store and buy it. If you can do it, continue to grow it. I think that's one thing I want to keep alive is home grows. Um, definitely the caregiverships. Mm -hmm. uh, you can see here the caregiverships in Colorado. It's not destroying the 
the businesses out there, they're still making their money. I was super surprised when I came to Colorado that not more people are actually growing their own cannabis when they have the opportunity, but very few people do actually. Yeah. And I mean, if you're growing vegetables or fruits already, I mean, what's it to you just to stick a couple cannabis seeds or, or some hemp. If you want to get some CBD, throw some hemp seeds down. Um, well, actually, if you're I, around me, just make sure you pull your mails, though. I, I don't got want no the, seeds uh, in my backyard. Flower. I got the CBD plant going now, and I got a CBG. I want to make tinctures. I had uh, really fell in love with the tinctures, and that's one great thing. If you grow your own, you got a surplus most of the time. You can toy with it. If you fuck it up, you fuck it up, and you don't have to worry about it. Like, man, I just wasted so many hundred dollars, and it's down the tube. You grow it yourself. You can experiment and find out exactly what works for you. Like I said, uh, I've started using topicals. I found topicals, localized areas. Uh, if you do it right with the alcohol tincture, it is sub or um, how it's systemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when it it's soaks in, through the skin. I know what you're trying to say. I can't think of the name for it either. Yeah, it soaks right through the skin. It's systemic. Uh, transdermal is the word I'm transdermal, looking for. Transdermal, yep. And uh, it helps arthritis. My mother's a believer. She used to hate it smell now man i wonder if it helps from my arthritis it, it helps it, i mean it, you know, it does it smell she's not smoking she doesn't want to feel lethargic she hates cannabis but she finally realized hey it's helping him uh in a better way so she's okay with it i'm not saying she's pro usage for me but she's okay with it yeah 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 it's always interesting you know like 10 20 years ago it seemed like every if you were against it, you hated the smell of it, you know, like that skunky smell or that kind of musky smell. But now as times went on, more and more people like the smell of it. I mean, we're talking about terpene profiles left and right. On, so on what, what is can. your favorite terpene profile? Have you like come across a terpene profile here in Colorado you've never seen before, or never smelled before that just like, wow, that's something different. Uh, for me, it's got to be, I mean, for me personally, I like offensive stuff. I like the offensive terpene profiles, the terpene profiles that are like the, uh, the, the ugly child of the bunch, you know, and I'm not saying that on like the, uh, growth structure, or, you know, stuff like that. I'm saying that on the way it smells, you know, I'm, I'm looking for stuff that's, that's offensively gross, funky, skunky, rotten, putrid smell. That's, that's what you know, I like. That's what, what I call I'm face slap funk. But some people don't like that. Some people like the, they uh, don't. there's a, the one that surprised me the most when I came here was actually a Tropicana. It smelled like Hawaiian fruit punch. And yeah. People love it. It made their mouth water. Yeah. And it's they a would good come one. back and buy it. Just and the flower the looks good too. You know, it's one of the, it's the type, it's a type of strain where it's got not only, you know, violet, purple, amber fan leaves. It's also got that on the calyx as well, all the way up to the pistols. So when you have stack like that and, and I appeal like that with flavor and smell, that's going to move on the shelf all day. You know, you got to hit all those categories when you start getting into stuff like that. But yeah, me, man, it's more about it's more about kind of that kind of gross, uh, rotten, kind of nasty smell. I've got a couple of things in the backyard this year from some new beans I'm running. Um, one's a super silver haze crossed with a dirty taxi. And the dirty taxi came from uh, JJ from Top Dog Seeds. And that one is called Diaper. And it does smell like, this is pretty gross, man, but it smells like baby shit, you know, like, like fresh baby shit in a diaper is what it smells like when you rub the stock. I mean, some, some of the phenos I smell um, kind of smell a little bit like uh, burnt rubber or like burning rubber. Like if you've got a tire, a, a pile of tires you're burning and you walk across the smoke once and that catches your whiff and your nose hairs, something like that. Um, but 
that's the shit I like, man. Yeah, you know, I've I mean, smelled I, all this stuff in your genetics. I've, I've smelled the, yeah. the Tropicana funky. I got the, some moms and some high fruity sweet stuff that's out there. You know, uh, some of the newer stuff that's a little bit more sweet, fruity, and good eye appeal with like uh, trichome density and stuff like that. But for me, man, it's really it's got to have a nose right off the bat. That Harambe know? breath. I've heard good stuff about that that smell mm-hmm. and the uh, Tropicana funk or trop what was it the trop funk yeah trop funk i'm getting ready trop to actually funk. harvest uh one of those in the backyard in like a day or two and that's tropicana mixed with no your, or what is what's the no. lineage on that one um so the lineage on that is tropical runts crossed with garlic breath 2.0 and that trop runts so there's two trop runts out there um there's one that did, went by, uh, tiki man did one and exotic genetics did one the one i pulled from was from exotic genetics which is a tropic truffle crossed with runts and he made the trop runs. The other one from Tinky Man, I believe, has got Skittles in it. So that's the difference between the two there. We kind of decipher that. And then the, the uh, Garlic Breath 2.0 side is from Thug Pug Genetics, which is uh, Mendo Breath crossed with GMO. And that's one of your... Dad. I'm sorry, GMO crossed with Mendo Breath, female to male. That's one of your males you pollinate with. And that's you. the male that I have currently. That's the dad of all the brain strap crosses. Was that Garlic Breath 2.0? He is undeniable funk heavy GMO recessive on the terpene profile, big stature stack, tight pollen stacking with uh, purple stripes on the pollen sacks. So, which is kind of cool for that little extra icing on the cake there. Um, but yeah. And then his offspring that he produced, it just, man, I'm seeing it. I've seen it now. This is my second season outdoor that I've ran those seeds from, from that male and they just crush every year, you know? And I think, the hack out here is to get your beans out early. When I say early, I don't mean like May or June, 2023 spring. I'm talking like here in a couple of weeks, you know, before the frost or the snow hits, go ahead and barely trench some rows, lay some beans down. If you got plenty of beans to, to throw out, go ahead and lay that shit down. What comes up in February or March, it may get snowed on. It may, it may go through some frost damage, but it's not going to be able to fuck with that taproot once that taproot di- dives down deep enough and it, and it locks in like an anchor. You're not going to get those same results like you would with a clone where it's a short ri- uh, root rhizosphere starting to spread out, more shallow surface area. So getting your beans out early, like October, November time frame, whatever, wherever you're at uh, in, sure in the region of the U.S. The wind, right, and they get that taproot, holds them down. Oh, yeah. And the, the shallow roots, they will and you'll blow see it right in the, over, right? Yeah, man, you'll see it in the stocks too. Like the, they'll just they'll hold tight. I mean, this year I've got it to where I don't even have to cage my plants. In the past years, I've had to cage my plants like tomatoes because the wind is so heavy around here in the fall that I'm able to beat that out and have a harvest here in a couple of days um, before it gets super, super windy, dusty, potential hail. You know, Jack Frost is going to come knocking and, and hit us with some like, you know, upper 20 degree nights here soon. I mean, th- this morning when I woke up, it was 37.8 degrees on my front porch. So if you've got genetics that got perp in them, they're showing it right now in Colorado. Straight I up. I saw a lot so. of purple yesterday walking the fields here. And uh, I think it's probably four generations of planting the way you do that will naturally select the strongest and breed what will grow in your area with a the same strain as the seeds and you keep going with those same genetics, <clears throat> the natural selection will bring out and you'll have huge trees here. In yeah. They want to say it's like 10 to 15% of, of the genetics are influenced by the environment, by environmental factors. 
So where they're grown, it's like they say, like I could, I could take a cut of Oreos, let's say I'm growing it here in Colorado, but then I give a homie a cut of Oreos in Florida. They're probably going to smoke different, probably going to taste different, probably going to smell different, even though it's the exact same phenotype. Everything makes a big difference. Humidity, everything makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. One big thing we learned is if a bug attacks it, brings out a lot of terps sometimes. So there's outdoors with bugs attacking could bring out different terps. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out queen of the sun grown. She was talking about that a little bit with, uh, you know, pest pressure will bring out, um, uh, higher cannabinoid levels as well as trichome, uh, density or content. So definitely something to consider there. And I've noticed it this year with some of the, uh, grasshoppers, man, they just fucking do a number on the, the, the fan leaves in the back on some of the outdoor, but the ones that are they're chewing on the most, it seems like the 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 frost is just out of this world. I mean, it's so super frosty right now. It's crazy. It's a natural defense mechanism, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So uh, you say you like to grow all your personal home stuff outdoors. But what about the flower factory? You're co-founder of the flower factory. You do have a commercial license. And well, I do. do I do, have- do. Well, just real quick, I do do some stuff indoors. But oh, my yeah. indoor cultivation method is different than my outdoor cultivation method. So I'm not. I'm not a. Uh, indoor living soil organic kind of guy i'm i'm gonna try to jump into it a little bit i might designate one room for that i got some some of the homies and the people are really into that scene and i can get some good knowledge off of those guys but for me it's it's pretty much hydro indoors i'm hydro all the way indoors outdoors living soil native soil water only no ph and maybe some fish emulsion here and there over at flower factory commercially um we're hydro grow so yeah, for the commercial, it's a, it's a different, different format, right? Just to make it. Yeah. And I mean, you could pull it off. You can do it organically. You can do it living soil style. Um, it's just for us in the model that we're running. Um, it's, this is what works for us. But you're going to do that in the future. You mentioned to me. You're yeah. Yeah. yeah mix the, it up a little bit for outdoor. Yeah. Yeah. For like raised bed system, native soil. Yeah, exactly. All that stuff. Be doing my own. I'm going to get some ferments and do all that stuff like that. But when it comes to the indoors and the greenhouse, warehouse, shipping containers, in our model, we're doing a uh, hydro style, as much automation as we can. I still have to intervene on certain tasks like transplanting, identifying certain deficiencies, scouting for pests, etc. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to, as much as I can automate with that, the easier it's going to be and it's going to save us a ton of money on labor cost. You know, I think right now labor's like $20 an hour, which isn't a lot of money to live on. If you think about it, if you're coming in as a laborer or a 1099 employee, um, but that's stuff that you got to take into consideration as a business owner, you know, is that, you know, your labor cost is going to eat you up. If you're hand trimming, your labor cost is going to eat you up. Sure. The flower looks good. Sure. It's going to have great eye appeal on the shelf, but what is your overhead? You know, how much are you selling your packs for? These are all things you have to take into consideration. What are the facts showing? What are the analytics showing? And let's, 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 let's build the the blueprint and the bulletin board from there. Yeah. I know a lot of the tax implementations have changed the way that the, the legal market is and the quality from the grow to the shelf is different than what you can find at home. Sometimes it's a, just the facts. And that's why I, Encourage the home grow. Everybody should mm-hmm. home grow. But if you can't, yep. Then yeah, yeah, you gotta go, you gotta go get from a source, right? And if in and, and preferably a legal source. If you're in a legal state, I mean, I mean, yeah, I know there's people that are here in Colorado that still support the traditional market and the black market. Much love and respect to those guys that are out there still fighting the good fight. 
Um, but if you've got a good, reliable legal source, like a dispensary that is putting out quality flour, I would just hit them up and still support that, especially if they're a mom and pop business or a small business, man. Like that's, that's who I would be giving my money to me personally versus trying to support like big corporate, you know? And that's the good thing about where we are here at area 420 to bring it back is that we are the largest mom and pop owned independent cannabis subdivision in the world. We do have some corporate companies out here operating. I mean, we're a massive subdivision, but we also have a lot of mom and pops. And a lot of these mom and pops are all cultivating differently. They're either hydro, organic. I mean, this guy's growing in cocoa, pro-mix blends, build-a-soil blends, raised beds with earthworms and cover crops to uh, full-blown hydro, deep water culture, et cetera. So right now, if somebody was in the state of Colorado or somebody came to visit from out of state, where could they find some of the flower factory products on the shelf so they can support you as yep. a small business owner? So right now we've got uh, pre-rolls. Our Purple Punch pre-rolls are on the shelf at High Valley Dispensary here in Moffat, Colorado, a.k.a. Cush, Colorado, 81143. And then we've also got um, a couple of other spots out on the Western Slope. I don't know the names of those. Um, but they're in three shops over there. Um, our boy Wes is running the show over there for those. We've got five pre-rolls for 20. And then um, we've got another shop getting ready to come on board. Social Equity uh, Dispensary in Denver. Um, shout out uh, Green Remedy Denver on Instagram. A couple owners there that are going to provide, um, I believe, uh, this is what I've heard, nothing but Area 420 flower. And then we've got right next to us here on the right, the Area 420 train dispensary that was just purchased in an agreement with Miracle Farms, both trains. And those guys are out there walking it right now as we speak on the other side of the wall, looking to start ripping stuff down and getting that moving this week. So a bunch of moving pieces right now on top of the lodging out here for the uh, construction project yeah, I like that. That's, that's for the good, silo homes. Good, good thing. I'll be staying in them for sure. Yeah, that'd be cool, man. Yeah, I know Mike's pretty stoked that you're out here doing this. We we appreciate it, man. Yeah, we, my goal the, is to come you're down you're and the help dude you that guys. we need for this, straight up. So I want to come down and help you guys get as much publicity as you can. I'm the mom and pop supporter myself. Uh, small business, local economy. Uh, it goes right back into the economy. And uh, where or who do these dispensary owners or people who want to support you? Where, who do they need to get in contact to get some of your products onto their shelves? Yeah, cool. So you can find us, um, if you just type in uh, Colorado Area 420 or Area 420 on Google, um, it should pop up Flower Factory, and that'll put you right to our Flower Factory address. And then if you go to coloradoarea420.com, at the bottom of that home page on the home interface, if you scroll down, you'll see Mike's phone number and Mike's name there at the bottom. Give him a call. He's my business partner over at Flower Factory. It's Mike, uh, Matt Latrina, and myself. So there's three owners of that operation. And so uh, Mike and Matt are really kind of on the front end and handling sales okay. as far as pushing that out. Um, I'm more of an operations guy from seed to harvest. And then I help out a little bit on the back end with some packaging here and there. But mostly you can find my office in the greenhouse. I'm around plants for the most part every day unless I'm doing – PR stuff or stuff like this to kind of help push the brand. So, um, yeah, give Mike a call, coloradoarea420.com. You can also reach out to us, uh, Colorado Area 420 on Instagram and Area 420 on Facebook. Just look for the Area 420 logo or brand. Give us a like on Facebook, follow on IG. We don't have a Twitter page up yet. 
I don't have a YouTube page yet, but I think we're going to link up. We're going to do some collaborations with Little Farmer over here, and he'll put that up on his his new podcast coming out called Refer the Reefer. Is that that's yep. what it's the Refer title? Refer the Reefer. Yes, Refer sir. the Reefer. We're referencing cannabis usage, uh, trying to make it uh, public knowledge on good consumption practices, what to avoid, what to use. But there's a lot of new states out there and a lot of curious people. And I uh, just talked to bill over here. he didn't start consuming till he's in his 50s wow i didn't yeah. know that oh he's the only big consuming this is alive. wild wild bill we're talking about with the humidors. humble humidors yeah wow he hadn't been smoking his whole life so That's you know it's like new users out there as a as a um butt tender i talked to hundreds of people from texas and i tried to give them knowledge so they could take that knowledge back to texas talk to other people get them to change their minds get their laws changed you know texas mm-hmm. There's a lot of people. There was hundreds and hundreds of people coming up to it's, Colorado it's, just dude, to consume it's in, cannabis from Texas. It's politics, man. Like you gotta like as much as people hate it, they need to get involved. And I'm not saying you gotta get involved on the big level when it comes to red or blue, like you know who you're voting for, president wise or Congress and this and that. But you should definitely be trying to get involved on who your local representatives are, who well, that local municipality reps one are. One of the greatest things I love it was talking to. 60 70 year old consumers from florida that never wanted but they could come in for topicals they come in for a little edible cbd to sleep you know like 0.1 gummies, gram, gummies 0.1 seem to be gram the of thc one. with about 50 grams of uh or 50 milligrams of cbd and knock them out and they slept a full night and they haven't slept at night in a long time and they're believers now yeah it's and awesome they go back and talk to their little communities of retirees and they're like man this cannabis thing yeah is man like word awesome. of mouth still and, spreads and then the next thing you know the whole community is like telling their kids and Remember we told you cannabis was bad. Well, you know what? It really helps me for my arthritis and uh, dementia, uh, appetite. I think a lot, a lot of it of too is, is what you read, what you read, and then the headlines. You know that that's really I and feel like what shapes believe. a lot of the yeah, whatever you want to believe. It really shapes the mindset of people. And back then, man, like you weren't reading a lot of like positive literature or press on cannabis. You know, it was like who got busted this week or like. And then, like, when there were cannabis busts, there was always, like, other hard drugs affiliated with that. And so, like, you still got that fucking, uh, the the gateway drug theory, you know, kind of being pushed at you. So, it's nice to be able to see it now, where it's like, you're seeing it in magazines. It's like, uh, it's become, it's becoming normalized more, more celebrities more. coming out. More celebrities. Oh, yeah. Their they're jumping on board and, left and, and right. not worried about <laughs> what people think or going to put in the tabloids about them. And they're like. I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, it's that's kind of an interesting thing too. That's probably never conversation, but just like <laughs> some of these celebrities that jump into the cannabis scene that have never—I don't know, man. I I kind of think of some of that stuff like being a culture vulture, right? Like it can be. Yeah, man. Like you weren't you weren't a part of this culture in the beginning. You weren't backing it when this shit was illegal, or this wasn't the cool thing to do. And now that it is, and like you see, like people are making some money off of this. Not everybody, but some people are that that have established themselves. And now they want to jump in and like, I guess it's cool, more power to you, but it's like, I kind of look at that like a culture vulture. Like you're just trying to prey off of a culture that you've really never contributed to or really been a part of, but yet you see some type of monetary gain. Yeah. I see it in California. The legacy growers are getting pushed out and are fighting back in the same way you guys are here collaborating. I really appreciate you coming on here, Matt. Dude, I appreciate you, man. This has been kind of a long one. I'm sorry to drag it out, but you know. 
We I love, love having it. you down. The more information, the better for these newbies and also for doctors out there. I mean, my sister's a doctor. She wants to know more about it. She's like CBD. She won't do use cannabis. She doesn't like THC, but she does like CBD. Yeah. And it is actually cannabis too. So she is a cannabis supporter now and she wants to know more about it. You know, it's like she has CBD is the gateway. She man. has uh, clients with epilepsy, children, seizures. It's something that is really medically beneficial. Nice for them. Well, yeah, man, I'm, I'm stoked you had me on. I'm stoked you're down here and you're getting all these interviews. Uh, I look forward to uh, future ones and continuing to kind of collaborate, push this thing forward and uh, get the information to the people um, that uh, deserve it, you know, and that have deserved it for years. And it's nice to be able to talk about it now and to continue to, to do what we're doing. Yes, sir. All right. Until Thanks, next buddy. Time, Matt. Take it easy. Thanks for tuning in. Call him Dr. Earth. For the healing meditation and good vibration. For food, fuel, fiber, and a little bit of fun. See, the joint ain't necessarily the point, but I want one.